0: Hello and welcome to another episode of ESG Out Loud, ESG Clarity's podcast series. Uh, today we have a great interview coming up for you. We are speaking with Uxif's new CEO, James Alexander. Uh, but before that, I've dragged Natalie back from her holidays uh, to talk about a few things. Um, coming up in the interview, actually, I thought it'd be nice to talk a little bit about what James said because it's uh, very interesting time and they're doing a lot of policy work um, and uh, sort of, you know, I guess testing the vibes of of the industry really is their job. That's not their official job, but you know what I mean. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to to talk about a few of the things he said and then later we also um, have a bit of a chat about uh, our global event that's coming up. So look out for that as well. Um, So Natalie, it's good to see you. I hope your holidays were nice.
1: Yes, it was nice to try out some walks in some different places. uh, We we still weren't able to do much of things; hadn't quite opened up then. So, but yeah, it was it was it was refreshing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, I mean things, you know, starting to open up now, aren't they? Like the end of the tunnel. So, yes, um, weekend. Yes, exactly. Hope everyone is doing well. Um, So let's look at a few things that James said then. So one uh one thing you'll hear in, in the interview in a minute is that he said a big concern for a lot of his members are things around net zero we've seen lots of commitments obviously but you know getting into the nitty-gritty you know how's that going to work how are you going to um ensure that your portfolio companies are are doing the things they've said they're going to do and even what that means in practice. Those are some of the big worries it seems that his member firms are coming to to them about. Yeah, what are we seeing really when it comes to the net
1: zero commitments and plans? Well, there's certainly a lot of them as we are um, writing up all the, the latest um, Net Zero pledges from our COP26 roundup emails. Um, and we've also seen the um, Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative that we initially announced in uh, November with a number of signatories. But now the most recent announcement is um, the number of signatories has tripled to 73. So now... Around a third of the world's assets under management is supporting the goal of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. So that sounds amazing, doesn't it? And all of the plans that um, are in um, place—sort of what these companies are are pledged to do. So working with their own, um, so working with asset owners to set up their own decarbonisation goals. Working with their own clients to make sure that their their clients' companies are. Working towards net zero ambitions, creating more investment solutions that will focus on climate change, engagement strategies. So yeah, I mean, it does sound like there's a lot going on. I feel like we're at the, perhaps at the very beginning of a real big push. But hopefully, by the end of this year, we'll be in a bit of a different place and seeing seeing a lot more progress than what we've seen in the past few years. I, I think this is the year that things will will shift.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you're right that about being at the
1: start here,
0: uh, that there is some cynicism around, I think, you know, how many of these shifts or transitions might have happened anyway, you know, how much credit can, say, Climate Action 100 plus claim? It's a great organisation, and and we have covered it positively. But, um, you know, the world's moving this way anyway. So yeah, how how are we going to see those big shifts that are needed? There's plenty of scepticism, even in the news this week, about the UK government's own pledges and and whether we're, you know, whether they are um, going far enough. But I mean, you know, cynicism's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Is it, if it moves everything in the right direction?
1: So, yeah. I think what um, groups need to sort of look at as well is whether they're just bolting on these ESG funds and mm-hmm. saying, oh, this is our place to net zero. Are they looking across their entire company? Are they integrating ESG into everything they do or just having this sideline of funds? I think that's where, like that, you're talking about scepticism, I think that's where um, fund selectors are really focusing on that at the moment from the conversations I've had that they want to see it um, being a credible response to um what we need to do to mitigate climate change not just oh let's just add these funds on because they're going to sell well yeah dare right. I say mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we also talked with James a bit about the SFDR I mean we talked about this in the last podcast but it's not it's not going away really is it uh, it's consistently uh, popular um our coverage of it on the website so I mean we have talked about it so let's not go into it too much but uh um, what what's what's new in sfdr regulation land
1: yeah i mean um yeah so we we obviously talked about it in the march podcast it uh, came into force on the 10th of march um recently morningstar released a report sfdr the first 20 days so it looked at which the, the groups and how they had classified their funds and found that um of the funds domiciled in luxembourg around 21% of the funds or 25% of the total European fund assets had been classified as Article 8 or Article 9. So Article 9 are the funds that have specific sustainable goals as part of their objective, and Article 8 have our environment or social characteristics. Um, so, yeah, there's around two 0.5 trillion euros in those now but what um i thought was interesting and uh, that morningstar noted was that fund groups have been quite cautious and how they've labeled them because they there is the, the walls are still open to misinterpretation at the moment i think there's this sort of fear fear around being downgraded later on um sort of going for the article nine and having to drop back down it's not not really it doesn't really look great does it so mm. I think we might see um the reverse actually we might see more more funds um being classified or moving up the scale and being classified as eight or nine further down the line as uh, as they they sort of change objectives perhaps or enhance existing strategies are enhanced to meet those new requirements um but yeah I don't, yeah like you said sfdr is is not going away it's something we're going to talk about for a, the rest of the yeah. year at least
0: yeah and uh, we've got some interesting comments from James as well, talking because classifications is is the thing, really, uh, at the moment, isn't it? People are, are wondering about. And um, uh, you'll hear James later speak about uh, sort of who ends up in what and what that really means. You know, if there's going to be a this whole um, big group ending up with Article 8 classifications, you could have such a sliding scale there that maybe you're going to need 8A, 8B, 8C, whatever. So um yeah still more still more things to work out and of course a chance maybe for the UK then to be tweaking things when it comes to think about how it's going to work here as well
1: I can totally see that happening where a a system has come in place to try and simplify things that ends up Mm. having to be more complicated because it's too simple and open to misinterpretation it's just
0: yeah why can't life just be simple right (laughs) um Well, I'm just going to ask you one more question then, Natalie, which I asked James as well, which we don't actually talk about that much, really. Sustainability and, um, you know, working towards a better planet is quite personal for a lot of people. And I I did sort of discuss with James what what gets him out of bed in the morning. But, you know, it's sort of interesting to reflect on sometimes, isn't it? I just bought some new... Sustainable socks, which I'm very <laughs> pleased about which I've been telling everyone about they're very soft this is not oh, though they're, they're made of bamboo i mean if if you are listening, I does not a call out for sponsorship, but I would like yeah. some more socks um <laughs> but you know aside from the little changes that we can make what are the things that really kind of bring us to work yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think it's any secret that diversity is like is is, is my passion and yeah. I talked about it again in the March podcast when I had this sort of meeting with Bev Shaw of City Hive and um it was just all these sort of light bulbs going off in my head where I realized that we don't we, as women we don't really just need to accept that this is the way it is in our industry that we're, there's just a, a small proportion of women and um, they don't necessarily have the, the senior roles it sort of made me realise we can make changes and improvements we can improve situations for other people improve income and opportunities and uh, it's definitely a passion that is in my personal life as well my Instagram feed is full of accounts empowering women about whether it's their life choices or their body and body confidence or just being happy in their state of mind and I'm always listening to podcasts around this too, and um, there were two I listened to religiously. One is called Love, Sex and Magic by Mel Wells. And the other is uh, The Happy Place by Fern Carson, which I know is really popular. She recently interviewed Ju Ampong, who I remember as the presenter of T4 back in the day when I was able to lie in bed watching TV on a yes. Sunday morning. <laughs> um, but now she, she was recently appointed the first director of creative diversity at the BBC. So what an interesting role, and she talked about the work that she carries about, which involves ensuring all that the BBC content is diverse, appeals to diverse groups, and made by diverse teams. I just found it so interesting, and it resonated with me, that she talks about how educating the most senior people in, in the business or the industry that she works in about the benefits of diversity. And... Hopefully, for obvious reasons, ESD Out Loud listeners can see why I relate to that as something that we're trying to do.
0: Let's wrap up there and get get on to the, the interview with James. Uh, we'll be putting out the full interview with him um, later in the month. Uh, and like I mentioned as well, uh, do listen right to the end because we do also have um, a, a bit of a chat with um, our US uh, team about the our upcoming global event as well. So do listen out for details of that. Enjoy the episode and uh, I'll speak to you soon, Natalie. Speak to you soon. I'm ESG Clarity Deputy Editor Natasha Turner and today I'm joined by UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association CEO, James Alexander. It's great to have you with us today, James.
2: Great to be here, Natasha. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to speak. Really appreciate
0: it. Let's just start with how, is, how it's all going. I mean, you joined a CEO in October last year, so How's everything been? What what have you been up to?
2: Well, it's been, it's been a rollercoaster six months. I can barely believe it's been six months that I've been here already. And, uh, and just the amount that's going on in this space is unbelievable. And to, to see you know, how, how much our members are driving forward um, uh, on, on sustainable finance, whether it's um, new initiatives around, of course, net zero, which from, you know, we've been hearing a huge amount about. Loads of Uxec members are, are committing to net zero targets, both from the pension fund side, the asset managers um, and others. Um, we're also seeing you know, huge, huge developments in other areas. Is the social side of things is really advancing and um, so just a few weeks ago we had a webinar on modern day slavery which you know i found absolutely fascinating and you know these are the sorts of issues that the uxif members that investors are taking forward um and having a really huge impact in um and i think you know on top of that we're seeing changes in what's happening in government we're seeing you know new announcements around all sorts of um positive developments on climate and uh and, and on kind of leadership in other ways um as well as of course uh, you know, the sustainable finance disclosure regs and others coming out of Europe. So, so you know, there is just so much happening right now in this space. I mean, I think, you know, everybody I speak to is saying how much sustainable finance, sustainable investment has moved and changed in just the last 18 months or so. Um, and that's certainly what I'm seeing. The pace of change is absolutely enormous. And it's exciting. It's a really amazing time to be to be working in this space. Um, and 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 I think what investors are increasingly realising um, is that they are able to have an impact on some of these big trends, these big challenges that we're facing in the world, that the, the, there is a, you know, something that investors can do about this. And 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 ways of working together and learning about these issues and um, you know coming together through organizations like arcsif um is is you know what's having a, a really positive impact
0: mm-hmm. well yeah my next question was actually going to be what some of your members main concerns are but you've sort of gone over um quite a few there i guess maybe could you pick one of those and um, maybe go into a m- bit more detail about what members really want to know about it just you know for our listeners who might be. Um, Members themselves are even aware of, of some of these issues. What are the what are the key actual concerns, say, around modern slavery or, or any other things you mentioned?
2: So I think almost every conversation we have with a member at some point touches on net zero, um, and and of course the this this global drive towards net zero. We know that that that, that it's essential that we hit that by twenty fifty. I think we also know, and the UN has you know recently reiterated that that the world is not on track for hitting net zero. Um, and this is something that concerns Oxif greatly, it concerns our members um, and, and so something that we want to we want to attack and we want to address. I think there, you know, that we're, we're seeing amazing new commitments coming through organizations um, uh, like the Net Zero Asset Managers Alliance the Net Zero Asset Owners um, groups that are that are driving collective and, and, and engagement across across the sector. And um, and, you know, in Oxif, we're doing a little bit in the UK. To, to support our members that are that are working on this, one of our most well-attended events that we've had recently was a um, presentation from some asset managers on their approaches to to net zero and how they're moving forward. And I think what's really exciting is that we're not, you know, we're not just looking at net zero as being a divestment campaign. That's not all, what this is about for us. Net zero is about actually having a real impact across the, you know, across the real economy and making that change in 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 the real world, so to speak. So it's not just a case of saying well, the easiest way of making my portfolio net zero is by selling off the high-polluting assets and investing in, in other things like maybe tech stocks. That's not, that's not gonna make the change in, in the real world. What will make the change is having that active investor engagement with companies that, that are in the portfolio and saying, okay, how are you gonna be transitioning towards the net zero future? How does your business, you know, this, this this organization that we have an investment in remain viable in a net zero world and remain an active contributor to getting us to a net zero world? Um, and that's the really exciting investor engagement piece that we're starting to see. And, and, and members are talking about this a lot um, and talking about ways to do this, techniques, approaches, but also, you know, what happens if that engagement fails? How do you, how do you make a judgment call on whether that engagement, you know, and, and whether that company your portfolio presents at some point too greater risk to be in your portfolio because it's not going to make the transition in time for 2050 so you know these are these are some of the exciting conversations that are going on at the moment and you know net zero really is one of those um one of those important areas
0: so as well as bringing members together um, on these issues what sort of work does do?
2: working a lot with politicians we're working with regulators and we're working with the industry itself to to drive things to drive this this agenda forwards and to to really relay and be very active about passing on the views of our members which is the the broad in the broader sense the sustainable finance community whether that's banks asset managers uh, asset owners and pension funds but also data and research providers financial advisors even some not-for-profits are part of active so we represent this Big community that's touching sustainable finance in some way, and and so our view is to our our approach is to pass on the message from that that sector, Um, and and this year we're being much more proactive than ever before in our policymaking, Um, and in a few weeks' time to mark our 30th anniversary, which is an amazing milestone that we're that we're reaching, and we're going to be publishing a new policy vision, um, which will highlight and and, you know the views of the sustainable finance industry on how we can achieve some of the targets both environmental and social that we're looking for and gives new messages to government and regulators on how to do that.
0: What can people look out for in that?
2: You know this is possibly the biggest member consultation exercise that Argos has undertaken. Over the last three months we've engaged more than 100 of our members um, in a series of different policy sessions focusing on different aspects of sustainable finance policy. Now whether that includes the drive to net zero, whether it includes building a green economy we're also looking at um, issues of diversity and inclusion we're looking at how we can use um, Britain's development aid to to support other countries in their transition to net zero. Um, uh, we're of course looking at social issues and and, and, um, the just transition as well, so so there's different chapters focusing on different uh, different policy areas um, each proposing a series of recommendations for what the government. And, and regulators should be doing differently, and actually also looking slightly inward at how the sector should should um, should adjust and adapt, um, and things that the um, sustainable uh, the finance industry needs to do differently as well. So, so it's taking a very comprehensive view. It's st- truly reflective of, of the views of our members at the moment, and um, you know, and, and and we believe it's a really exciting moment to, you know, to 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 encourage the government to take that next step of leadership with COP26 this year, with the presidency of the G7, the government has this amazing opportunity to be promoting and, and, and showing to the world how we can move forward and, and hit these targets that we've set, um, whether that's the Paris Agreement, whether that's the Sustainable Development Goals or, or other targets. Um, and so we want the government to use that leadership position to, to encourage the world to take action and to take more action and turn to, to help us hit these targets. Um, and so by by, adapt, uh, by you know, adopting some of these policies, the, the UK government could really drive us forward um, uh, and, and, and to present an example for the rest of the world. And I think that, that, that one of the key things is there is a great prize of the UK being a leader in this space. We know that other countries around the world are considering how they can make their finance system more sustainable, are considering how they can create the investment drive towards a sustainable future. Um, And we want them to look to Britain as one of the leading places where this work is happening, where we've got some of the most um, amazing innovative companies um, where we've got some of the best skills and the best you know, the best people working on this, um, and where the government is supporting the industry and supporting the regulation that, that that can drive the industry forward to that sustainable future. So the whole thing comes together as a whole, and the prize for being a leading country in this space is absolutely enormous. And that's the message we're trying to put across with the policy vision.
0: And there's obviously, you feel there's a need, and your members feel like that there is a need to put uh, policy visions to the government. Does that mean that they are not on track to be reaching the goals or that do they need to be is there some urgency to be adopting the things that you're going to be suggesting
2: I mean certainly we know that the world is not on track to meet the to meet the 2050 goals um uh you know the UK has set possibly one of the, the furthest reaching um uh climate targets of any country um and was one of the first I think the first uh um developed country to 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 set a net zero target in law which is Fantastic, and that leadership must be built on, um, because now we've got the point where we've got the um, the government's um, Green Industrial Revolution plan. Um, well, it's a Green Industrial Revolution vision, and I think what we want to see is for that to turn into from a vision into a plan. Um, you know, what sectors are going to be? Are going to be the drivers of that? How are we how are we going to do things like get around? How are we going to heat our homes in 2050? And the answers to those questions are really important to help investors as signals for investors to to to, to make the investments now that will drive us towards that future. And um, we're seeing the UK creating a national infrastructure bank, for example. And we were pushed with a number of organisations really hard to make that a net zero bank, and that's pretty much what the chancellor announced uh, a few weeks ago. And um, that's great stuff but i think there is this is such a huge transition there is so much to do um every industry sector needs to be involved the government needs to put it at the core of every decision um and uh, and and it needs to be in the dna of every government department that that how does what we do today help us get to a net zero future um and uh, and and i think there's there's a lot of work to do you know i think i think setting the target is absolutely the right first step but it can only be the first step there has to be much more work behind it um and 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 you know as i mentioned the world as a whole is not on track for this um so the uk needs to be supporting other countries as well um and and making this a, a truly global agenda um and that's just on climate when we look at social issues there's there's a whole lot of other things that we need to be working on um in the uk and globally as well so so you know every every part of the country whether that includes the finance industry whether that includes the real economy and the government need to be working together um, and I think the policy vision is also a recognition that Active's been quite successful in our policy campaigns in the past. We've, we've been pushing for a long time for um, TCFD and risk, climate risk disclosures being implemented across the economy. That's now happening. We've been pushing for um, for a national infrastructure bank ha- uh, focused on on net zero. That's now happening. We've been pushing for green gills. That's happening. You know, there's loads of things that are happening, whether it comes to pensions or investments or regulation that are now that are now moving forward and things we've been pushing forward for a very long time. Um and and so this policy is about refreshing what we're calling for because we can't we can't pretend that we're done. you know we've we've got so much more that needs to happen in the UK and globally and um, uh, and that's why we that's why we, we we're publishing this vision and that's why we want to work with the government to enact it.
0: So on the regulation side of things we've uh, had sFDR implemented in the EU uh, is presumably this is a big concern for your members as well here in the UK.
2: Absolutely. Our members are, are looking extremely closely at what's, ha- what's happening in Europe um, and and I, I our members have gone a bit on, a I feel, a bit of a journey on this in the last few months as well. I mean, this, the starting point was, you know, pretty much that we should implement roughly you know an exact copy of what's happening in europe whether that's the taxonomy or the sfdr and actually of course remembering that the uk was heavily involved in the development of those processes anyway when we were part of the eu um, and many U- uh, uk-based um uh people were part of the technical expert groups that, that helped create those those projects and um, i think what's happened though is is that as these the, the particularly sfdr has been implemented um, it's been realized that that it's not as perfect as it as it could be and for those members That you know, many of whom are members of ARCSIF That for those institutions that are real leaders in this space, who are at the very top end of Article 8, which is where everybody seems to be landing now. I think I think the original idea was that Article 8 would still be quite exclusive, um, uh, but but everybody's fallen. Seems to move their thumbs into Article 8, Um, but it's a very very broad um, description and range between Article 8 and Article 9. Um, Many of our members are finding themselves at the top end of Article 8, which is fantastic. They're doing some great stuff. But I think what what the challenge is, is that if you're just choosing a, a fund manager based on whether their funds are Article 8 or not, then you, you potentially create a competitive disadvantage for those real leaders at the top end of Article 8. And so one of the things we're thinking about is, well, is there a way for the UK to implement something similar to the SFDR that crucially, and this is crucial for our members, allows our our uk based members to remain compatible with what's happening in europe because there's lots and lots of sales going across the border uh, into europe um but also allows a bit more nuance in the uk space so can article 8 equivalent for the uk be split up into perhaps more than one segment um so that you can be um you know doing the bare minimum compatible with the eu article 8 or demonstrating that you are doing more you're doing something more more stronger you're doing something um, that's going to have a bigger impact and um, and so be article 8 plus or article 8b um, uh, in, in terms of the UK equivalent and I think that is something that our members are really keen to see and, and to start thinking about and the same is true for the taxonomy Um in the short term we want to remain compatible with the, with the EU's taxonomy but we're also aware that other countries are developing a taxonomy of taxonomies of their own and one of our actually nightmare scenarios is if every single country in the world ends up creating a taxonomy that's different from one another um, and so we would like to see really strong global coordination to try and bring and align particularly the definitions together um, and these taxonomies together um, I think I think we're going to really struggle to move forwards as a global industry um, if each country has slightly different and slightly nuanced definitions um, and so for the UK how can we be out in front on that? How can we, as the UK, start calling and working globally with the networks that the government and others have to start pushing and saying we need some alignment here, we need some some consistency, and um, we need the ability for um, fund managers to operate internationally um, and therefore apply to a kind of common set of definitions and rules. And I think that's that's going to be a really a really big test over the next year or two.
0: Just finally, then I guess um, you know you mentioned some of Oxford's goals. the year or some of the main concerns of members what are your personal uh sustainable goals for the year or what what really drives you personally in this uh, in this career I suppose why we're all here
2: (laughs) yeah I mean yeah great great question and what what drives me personally is knowing that how big a problem we've got when it comes to climate change and I think it's a lot of people are ignorant to how serious the problem is and once you find out how bad the problem is, particularly on climate, but actually on a whole range of other social issues and things like nature and and jobs and and and, and uh, 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 discrimination. Once you really look and understand um, how serious the problem is, you can't unknow these things. You, you know, it makes it's something that, that that makes me personally feel compelled to do something about it. And um, my 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 goal is to help Uxif be as effective as possible in helping our members to make to to be part of that change, be part of that future that we want to see. Um, And, you know, and that that plays through in all aspects of of my life. I'm I'm buying a a a new flat at the moment. It's got a currently a very low energy efficiency rating. my personal view actually is that our mortgage company should have really questioned whether it was an appropriate investment for a really low energy efficiency um, uh, flat, but they didn't. Um, that's something else to consider in for future. But my my my, my personal plan is to make that into a, an exemplar of how you can retrofit a, a flat and make it a really um, really energy um, uh, efficient. Um, and 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 I think you know that's the sort of thing that I want to play out and have people thinking about across across all aspects of their lives. This is not something that you can pigeonhole into one particular aspect of your life and forget about in others, Um, how people work, how people play, how people socialise, every aspect of people's lives needs to be considered in the framework of how what 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 future are we creating by the actions we're taking today um and that's and that's again the philosophy for Oxford. how how are we helping to create the future that we want to see and, and to, to drive towards that and that's that's what that's what gets me uh excited and that's what motivates me to to get up in the morning and uh and, and sit in my spare room uh, um because uh, of course we no, none of us are in our offices at the moment um and and to 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 you know work the you know that little bit harder. to 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 support our members and what they're trying to do because you know the ambition is there the motivation is there we can provide a bit of help to to help members move forwards further and faster um, and that's what we want to do
1: now i wanted to take a moment to talk about something exciting we have coming up and that is our global esg summit on the twenty seventh of may For this event, we will be bringing together ESG experts, fund managers, asset owners, and data specialists to discuss the key themes and areas of interest within responsible investment. But we will be streaming this live across four time zones on on that day, Thursday the 27th of May. So we wanted to do this, bring our global audience together so that our readers can listen, but at a time that's convenient to them, whether they are in the UK, Europe, Asia, or the USA. This is something we haven't done before and trust me when i say has taken lots of planning and lots of meetings but the support and feedback we've had so far has been tremendous so we're counting down the days to the event and putting the final touches in place i should also mention something very important that the united nations capital development fund aka uncdf has partners with partnered with us on this summit and the executive secretary Preeti sinar is our keynote speaker uh, she has only started in this role in February, so it will be great to hear what she has planned for the UNCDF projects. So it's all very exciting. And just to give you a bit more information, the Global ESG Summit has been designed to help fund selectors and fund buyers cut through the noise and gain tangible insights on how to integrate ESG processes and principles into their business models and their investment solutions. And I'm delighted that to talk further about the event. um, Liz Skinner, who works on a sister title of ESG Clarity, Investment News as Special Projects Editor, has joined me for a chat. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me today, Natalie.
3: Thank you. Where are you calling in from today? So right now I am in Ocean City, Maryland. I have escaped the uh, Washington DC region where I live and I'm spending some time here.
1: Oh, amazing. Obviously you and I have chatted quite a bit about the explosion of interest in responsible investing and that's been accelerated by the pandemic. And you've talked about um, the the US journey in the message to America columns that you write for us. Um, Can you explain where the advisor industry is um, your your audience? What's the level of ESG integration at the moment?
3: So, you know, in the United States we have for decades had this very small number of financial advisors who integrate ESG into their client portfolios. They are very passionate about values-based investing and they have always attracted a, a clientele who also wants to kind of put their, put their money where their values are. But in the last 12 to 18 months, we've seen a giant shift and what it is, is as the assets have been flowing into ESG funds as they as they have globally, but certainly in the U.S., we've seen a, a giant jump, like $17 trillion at the end of 2020. And that was a $5 trillion increase in two years. Wow. So advisors, exactly. So advisors said the same, and they're taking note of that as well as they are actually seeing increased demand from clients in terms of the questions that they're getting from clients and prospects about values-based investing and how they can make sure that the money that clients are investing are supporting causes that they care about. And some advisors have been kind of taken aback that this is actually something that has is going so mainstream. And many more are embracing ESG and, and everything, you know, socially um, they're embracing ESG and socially responsible investments of all type mm-hmm. and really reaching out for more information and learning more about the field so that they have something to say when their clients come to them and say, hey, we wanna make sure our investments aren't making climate change worse Mm. and those kinds of things.
1: Great, yeah, I mean, it has been um, crazy how much that that has um, picked up, hasn't it? Um, And we know that sort of fund selectors around the world are quickly having to adapt to new technology, sorry, new terminology and products around responsible investing. How do you think this event that we have, the Global ESG Summit, will educate and support advisors on ESG? Can you give us a quick run through of what is lined up for the US audience?
3: One of the things I'm excited to try to help advisors learn about is the type of ESG investments that are out there. We will be hosting a panel that is really going to get into the different types of equity and fixed income and impact investing options and kind of the benefits of integrating each of these different types of socially responsible investments into a portfolio. So that's kind of the nitty gritty of what I hope advisors will come away with. But also I'm excited for them to hear from other financial advisors. Remember I mentioned there was that kind of small layer of financial advisors who have been passionate about this, passionate about this subject for decades. Mm -hmm. We're going to include many of those in the event so that they can talk to advisors who are just dipping their toe into this now and really tell them about the business reasons why they should be doing this And why now is the perfect opportunity for them to learn more about ESG and get more comfortable with sharing this type of information with clients. Because this isn't, you know, some type of a, a, just a, a quick trend or fad that's happening here, you know, like it has been happening in Europe for the past, you know, five to 10 years. This is something that is going to only get bigger and bigger here in the US market.
1: Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And I think, um, yeah, very similar. We have in the for the UK, Europe and Asia audiences panels on the trends and themes to watch, um, such as net zero biodiversity changing consumer habits, corporate culture. We've also got um, a panel on developments in data and disclosure and regulation, which has been huge over in Europe, how to avoid greenwashing, and as well as a deep dive into how ESG is represented in different asset classes and investment solutions. And yes, like you, we have made sure that we have got the really experienced people to give us um, their views on, on this. Um, We've also got our research director, Dylan Emery, um, who's going to present last word research's findings on fund flows tailored to each region. So that's something else to keep an eye out for to our listeners. So in the US, what would you say have been the biggest trends you have seen in terms of fund launches and flows into funds?
3: So in the US, I would say one of the main sectors that has seen a giant increase are clean energy funds. But then also, I, I feel like describing this one transaction that recently happened will give you a good insight into our market. BlackRock just recently introduced and launched an exchange-traded fund, mm-hmm. and its managers are selecting funds that they expect will kind of do well in this transition to a low-carbon world. They're calling it, mm-hmm. and. The within the first couple of days of trading, it attracted one and a quarter billion dollars, and it actually made it the biggest launch in ETF history for uh, for us in the United States. So it's really showing that you know this type of fund flows while they are kind of powered by large institutional investors. There's also a lot of retail interest in the companies that. Managers believe are going to be, and investors believe are going to be part of this kind of future low carbon world.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean that's crazy—the biggest ETF launch. Wow. Um, yeah, we're we, we seeing a similar sort of themes here too. So sort of lots of transition funds being launched, um, and more thematic funds—funds focused on things like um, biodiversity or social impacts as well—which is um, really interesting. But um, thank you so much for chatting with me, Liz. It's really, um, I really appreciate your time to take me through
3: that. It's been great working with you on the event, Natalie, and being here with you today. Great, thank you. For more on the summit, please go to
1: www.global-esg-summit.com where you can find all the speakers that are listed, the regional agendas and how to register. We are very excited and look forward to connecting with all of our listeners on the 27th of May.
0: Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.